With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good morning. Don't just go down. <laughs> nope. Okay, that's cool. Um, I was talking with my sister before I got up here, and uh, she said that whenever she wears these little mouthpieces, it makes her feel like Britney Spears. And um, I think that this, I, I would like to channel my inner Beyonce, actually. So um, I like Britney Spears, but I like Beyonce better. So after I'm finished, I am going to go into um, crazy love. So just kidding. Um, actually, Meredith is going to do that. Um, I am not a public speaker. I, this is probably one of the most terrifying things that Andy could ask me to do. And um, he, he asked me to do it anyways. So, um, yeah, here, here we are um, with a Bible and some, some words. So, um, this morning I want to talk about fierce love. That is, uh, did not come from me either. That came from a song. Um, but I really like this word, fierce. Fierce is kind of a word that has these like negative almost connotations, like, oh, she's fierce. Um, but this morning, I mean it as powerful um, and destructive, destructive in a good way, destructive in a way that sometimes God is destructive in our lives, but it, it changes us, it, it helps us move paths. Um, fierce is great and overwhelming, and fierce is strong. So this morning, um, I first off want to talk about Jesus because I think Jesus was fierce. I also think that Jesus, when he walks in the scene in the New Testament, he just kind of starts just blowing everything up, blowing everybody's mind. He's a little bit of a rebel, maybe a lot of a rebel. Um, but from the very beginning of his ministry, he has this constant message of love. And um, the, the theme of love is not just present in the New Testament. It's also present in the Old Testament. Actually, from the first couple of sentences in Genesis, we see that there is this love that is greater than anything in the universe. We see um, that the story of creation, the creation part of it may overshadow that love, but there's still clear evidence of God's love in creation because God speaks everything into existence and he breathes life into humanity. Continuing this trend of love, in Exodus we find the phrase, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and we also see God's love through the story of um, the Exodus, the Israelites moving into the promised land. That's one of my favorite stories because they're super annoying all the time. They do everything God tells them not to do, and yet God continues to love them through that. Uh, this morning, though, we are going to talk, we're going to read in 1 John, um, and we're going to talk about the love in 1 John, what he talks about. This book is kind of a letter, um, and it's written by someone that we know only as the elder, which could be John, but not really sure about that. But it doesn't really matter with the message. Um, we're going to look about what, we're going to talk about God's love within us, but also we're going to talk about what we need to do with that love. 
So I'm going to start in 1 John chapter 3, and I'm going to read the first verse. It says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. When I first started looking at 1 John and read chapters 3 and 4, this verse stuck out to me because of the word lavish. I just really like that word for some reason. I'm not really sure why, but it paints a picture to me. Um, And I like when words paint a picture. Um, If God's love is lavished on us, that means that God's love has been given to us in extravagance. That he has covered us with his love and he is bestowing it on us in generous amounts. 1 John really accents the relationship between believers and God and believers in Jesus. When we, um, when I hear this verse, I picture that relationship at its best. God's love is this overwhelming force, an extravagant love, um, like a tidal wave moving over us, completely washing us into the presence of God. And because God has lavished his love on us, we get to be his children. Take a minute and, and really take that in. Think about that. Um, what does it look like for God to lavish his love on you? I hope this puts a picture in your mind like it it put in my mind. Just a beautiful picture of who God is in our lives. So let's pick up in verse 12. Um, I I really like my Bible, um, so I'm going to read from that because there's something just like home about this and I just, I I need home when I'm super nervous. Um, So verse 12 says, Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Uh, that, that last verse 15 um, is a little bit harsh. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. Um, that I mean, I don't know if you guys think that's harsh, but I think that's a little harsh. Uh, but the, this definition of hatred that he's given, he's given it through this narrative of Cain and Abel. Cain so hated Abel that his hatred grew into murder. Why would the elder who wrote First John remind us of Cain and Abel's story? I think his point is this. Simply by being jealous of his brother, Cain spiritually died before Abel's physical death. And so do all others who live with hate. The story of Cain and Abel is an extreme example of the consequence of failing to heed the love commandment. Cain allowed hate to build up in him, and hate means a spiritual death. If we look at verse 14, it says that we have passed from death to life. I don't think that we should be surprised at the relationship between hatred and death and the relationship between love and life. The writer of 1 John redefines death. Normally when we think about death, we think about about a biological state, right? If we're saying that someone has died, we're saying that their physical body has died. But I think that the elder in writing 1 John described it differently. He described it as a a condition that plagues humanity, living and breathing individuals. The word death in verse 14 suggests a loveless existence. 
an existence of not knowing Jesus. And hatred is not only death. It belongs to that realm of darkness which death and sin completely inhabit. The relationship between love and life is a relationship um, that we as humans have when we decide to follow Jesus. We, we move from this death, this spiritual death, um, into life. And I mean eternal life. Um, it's this deep-rooted life, this deep-rooted love, and it's not conditional. And that's how we know what love is, right? Because God loves us. Um, because he sent Jesus to lay down his life for us. In verse 14, um, in verse 15, the one that I said I thought was really harsh because it's, um, it basically says anyone who hates is, um, is a murderer. Um, a murderer does not have eternal life because he does not have love. And this verse poses a challenge, I think. Um, if God's love is within us, and that is eternal life, and love and life are connected, then we have eternal life within us, now, here on earth. The kingdom of God is present with us. It's not something we're waiting for, it's here and now. Eternal life is not limited to future survival beyond the grave. It is an accomplished reality for those who know God. So when I was thinking about this, I started thinking about the Lord's Prayer. The beginning of it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus is praying this, he's asking for God's will to be done. He's asking for God's kingdom to come on earth. Jesus prayed asking for this, and Jesus brought God's kingdom on earth with him when he came. So knowing that, how can we sit around waiting for eternal life and waiting for the kingdom of God when we're filled with God's love and can bring the kingdom here? We are the kingdom. We have to remember we are God's children now. There isn't some point far off in the future when we begin to be God's children, and it doesn't happen after our physical bodies die. It's now. So what exactly do we do with that? How, how do we live in this love that God has given us? How do we um, show that to others? I don't know about y'all, but I tend to be a little selfish. Um, sometimes I tend to get really stuck within myself. I'm, I'm just really concerned about inward. Um, and I miss some opportunities that God has given me to love and to serve. And I miss it because I'm, I'm just too busy looking inside of myself. And I think that oftentimes we become really obsessed with the inward. And these first couple of verses are, are pretty inward. Um, God, God has lavished his love on you. How great is that love? That's, that's an inward thing, God lavishing his love on us. But these next couple of verses, 16 through 18, they start to move the inward focus outward. God lavished his love on us, but what do we, what do, we do with that? God's love is supposed to be so within us that it overflows through us. The next few verses challenge us to look beyond ourselves. So I'm going to read 16 through 18. 
It says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. I like to think that this is fierce love. Um, laying down your life is obviously fierce love. Jesus obviously had this fierce love within him. Um, but I think that we can also have it within us too. Um, I think laying down your life is probably the ultimate fierce love. Um, and we see, if we're looking in these verses, we see we started off talking about Cain and Abel and that hatred that Cain had. But now we're moving to talk about Jesus. We're moving, and the definition of love is Jesus. So we see another narrative here. We had the narrative of Cain and Abel, which is what he, what the writer used to describe hate. So now we have the story of Jesus, which is what he's using to describe love. God defines the nature of love by giving his son. The nature of love is illustrated negatively by the contrast with with Cain who murdered his brother and positively with the example of Jesus who laid down his own life for us. Laying down one's life for sisters and brothers seems kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Like, we lay down our lives, we die at the end. Um, But if we dig deeper and think about the author's purpose of death being a spiritual condition, then we realize we must lay down ourselves constantly. It has to be a daily thing that we're laying down ourselves to love others. God's love is not conceived in the abstract, but based upon his concrete historical deed in the appearance and death of Jesus. So let's not make our love abstract. Let's make our love concrete. Every day we must meet people where they are and love people where they are. One of my favorite people ever to read is Mother Teresa. Um, I I just really like how she was just so selfish, selfless. Oh my gosh, shame on that, right? Um, she was so selfless. <laughs> and that's one of the reasons I love her. I feel like she just had this spirit about her. I remember hearing this story of how she was, she lived in India. And um, people would send shoes for the children um, in her area, and she would allow them to pick out the shoes, and then she would get the leftover shoes. So it is said that she had deformed feet from where she would get shoes that didn't necessarily fit her, Um, but she wanted to make sure the children had shoes first. And I just think that that is such a beautiful story. I, I mean, how outward is that? How loving is that for you to be... To make sure these children have shoes before you. To make sure they have the right size. Um, So that's one story that makes me really love Mother Teresa. Um, And I've kind of been a little obsessed with her since I started learning about her. Um, I'd really like to go to India because that's where she was. And I just think that would be, it would be really cool to kind of walk in the same place she walked. See, that's creepy. Um, (laughs) Anyways, she understood sacrifice and love in this crazy way. This way that I feel like I can only pray that God will help me understand. Um, But one thing that she said was, she said, we can do no great things, only small things with great love. 
I, I feel like sometimes we like to do great things. I like to do great things. But um, I realize in reading this, if there's no love within anything that I do, then it's pretty much not, not worth it. it. It doesn't really matter. And God isn't exactly asking me to do all these great things. He's asking me to love. He's asking us to be faithful in the small things. And that means our love must be in action, not just words spoken. Um, because God lavished his love on us and because we are his children, our actions have to change. I can quote Mother Teresa all day. I can talk about her and tell stories about her all day. But if I never turn my, the, the things that I'm quoting for, of her, if I never turn that, if I never let that change my actions, then have I really understood the words that she's saying? If I don't put love within everything, have I really understood what she's saying? And the same, I think, is true with these verses. If we don't have concrete actions of love, we've not understood these verses. If people don't know that we're about love, then I don't know that we've really understood these verses. And this includes our actions towards each other in this room, towards our Mosaic community. But it also includes our actions towards those that are kind of difficult to love. Um, I think the story of Cain and Abel, um, when I read that, I, I tend to focus on Cain, you know. I tend to get frustrated with Cain, like, what the heck is he doing? Like, why is he so stupid? Um, why do I see so much of myself in him? Uh, but I don't think our focus should always be on Cain. I think that our focus needs to center on God. We shouldn't pl place all our focus in the canes of this world, the people that frustrate us. But rather, we need to focus on the responsibility of loving the members of our church, loving the members of our community. As a community, we can't be consumed with bitterness and self-interest. But rather, we need to be consumed by compassion for one another. That's one of my favorite things about Mosaic, is I feel like we have compassion towards one another. Um, the minute I stepped in here back in August, September, um, I felt like there was so much love in this room for one another. There was um, a genuine, hey, how was your week, was, was more. It wasn't just, hey, how was your week? It was, hey, I remember you said you had this this week. Tell me how that went. Um, and I think that that's, that's what God desires of us. When he wants us to love and show that in our actions, he desires us to love within our community. And God, God is calling us to constantly move towards love, to move towards that in our church community, to move towards that as we go outside of these church walls, to move towards that in our jobs, to move outside of our comfort zones when it's easy and when it's hard. God wants us to move towards fierce love. When I think about the how and the practical side of loving, of course, I'm reminded of Jesus. And the first story I think about is the story of the Samaritan woman. This is probably one of my favorite stories in the Bible, uh, just because I feel like there's so much depth within it. When you first read it, it just seems really surface level. Okay, Jesus loved this woman that people didn't like. 
Um, but if we look at Jesus' intentionality, he, he intentionally goes to Samaria. He intentionally goes to a place where, you know, Jews wouldn't normally go. Jews didn't really like Samaritans. So Jesus goes out of his way to go to this place, and then he goes to the well in the middle of the day. Um, I don't know about you, but if I got to go to a well and I've got to, like, pump water and get water to take back, I'm not going to do it in the middle of the day when it's the hottest. I'm going to do it in the morning when it's cool. But he goes there in the middle of the day because that's when this woman is going to be there. She's going to be there because she's outcast from society. She doesn't go pump water with the other women because she's she's not a part of them. Um, they, you know, they have mistreated her. She's an outcast. Um, which, granted, could be because of her actions. But still, Jesus comes and he shows this love for her that no one else in that community has shown for her. Um, he's intentional with her, and he, he meets her exactly where she is. He meets her right there at the well in the middle of the day. Another story that I really like is Zacchaeus. Um, not just because it was a really cool song that I would sing in Sunday school. It was a really cool song I would sing in Sunday school. I, um, I would invite Beyonce up to do that, but I'll, um, I'll let her stay to the side for a few more minutes. Um, but Zacchaeus was also an outcast. Uh, he spent a lot of his time just trying to take money from people so that he could be wealthy. Um, he was a tax collector, head of the tax collectors, I believe. Not not a position that was liked in any sort of the means. I mean, do you like money? people that steal money from you? I, I probably wouldn't. Um, but Jesus doesn't just walk by Zacchaeus. He doesn't just, you know, hey Zacchaeus, how you doing? He stops. He goes to Zacchaeus's house with him. Zacchaeus is, is clearly changed because of this. But we see again Jesus being intentional, Jesus meeting Zacchaeus where he is, and Jesus seeing value in him and really loving him. Again, I think that this is fierce love. Um, seeking out people, loving people, valuing people. Um, love's genuineness is demonstrated in God's concrete acts of helpfulness. To refuse to perform such acts is to close one's heart. Love in word or speech is not really love. Real love is demonstrated through our willingness to act. When I think about love and I look at the world that we live in, I realize that we live in a world that is void of love. We, we live in a world where we are quicker to get offended, um, quicker to hate, quicker to disagree. Um, but shouldn't our love, as people who are filled with God's love, this, this powerful love, this love that in Genesis created the world, created us, if we are filled with this powerful love, the love that led the Israelites out of slavery, the love that sent Jesus to die for us, if we are filled with that kind of love, I think that we need to share it. I think that people need to know that we have this fierce love inside of us. I think that we should look different than always disagreeing, always being quick to hate. We should look different than the world around us where people are, are quick to be against. 
One of the commentaries that I read, a quote in it said, the commandment of mutual love is the basis for community. Again, I thought of Mosaic when I read that because of how much love that I feel within our community. And how much I think we love outside of our community. So I want to encourage us this morning to be fierce with our love. To be powerful. To be destructive. And to be destructive in a way that encourages people. Not in a destructive in a way that tears people down. I want to encourage us to be great with our love. To overwhelm people with our love. To be strong. Even when people don't love us back. Even when they're hard to love. We need to be strong strong in our love. I want to read um, another Mother Teresa quote. This is a quote that I had never heard before and I read it the other day and I thought that it was perfect to share. She says, the greatest disease in the West today is not TB or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine. The only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are more dying for a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there is a hunger for God. I I see the loneliness, the despair, and the hopelessness in our world. And it kind of makes my heart ache. Um... But if I think about the love that God has lavished on me, if I think about the love that God has lavished on us, I think that we can go out and we can do something about the loneliness, the despair, and the hopelessness that's in our world. I think people do have a hunger for God. And I think that that we have something that we can offer them and give them. So this morning, um, I want to encourage you to be fierce in loving. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.